Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Rethink Culture, the podcast that shines a spotlight on the business leaders who are creating intentional cultures, who see their employees not as resources to be managed and directed, but as people that need to be led and inspired. My name is Andreas Constantino, and I'm your host. Uh, I'm an accidental micromanager who turned servant leaders and over the years developed a personal passion for culture, which I've also turned into a business in the form of Rethink Culture, a company that aims to help create 1 million healthier, more fulfilling work cultures. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Bruce Sullivan, who's a keynote speaker, author, and business leader, also voted Australian Keynote Speaker of the Year. He is fortunate to teach people about culture, teams, and relationships, and he has a lot of entrepreneurial experience leading people, managing his first business since he was 19, and he was an ice cream and donut bar uh, truck or shop, I, I think. And by 22, he was managing 130 staff in nine retail sites. Uh, he then moved into residential commercial real estate, supermarkets, 7-Eleven franchises, the lot. And eventually, in the last few years, into coaching and speaking. Lots more we are curious to hear about you and learn from you, Bruce. And very welcome to the Rethink Culture podcast. Thank you very much, Andreas. And hi to everyone. It, it is good morning, good evening, good afternoon. So thanks for having us. And it's morning for me in Greece and it's evening for you in uh, Australia. Where in Australia, Bruce? We are on the East Coast, pretty much in the middle, the capital city of the state of Queensland, Brisbane. Uh, most people know Sydney, which is about 1,000 kilometres, 600 miles to the south of us. So we're further north, a little more warmer and temperate. And we always like to argue that Queensland is beautiful one day and perfect the next. So uh, that's the ad campaign anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're here to talk about culture. And what is culture to you to start with? And what do you teach people? when it comes to leadership and culture? I think the first thing that I teach people, and particularly about culture, is a lot of people will say, I need to go away and work on culture. I love reminding people that you've already got one and that you know we really need to pay attention to culture. I'm like going, yeah, that's great. Uh, just remember you already have one. What is the current culture? Where's your starting point? <laughs> You know, people say, I'm going to go work on my leadership. You know, I want to improve my leadership and I want to lead by example. And I go, well, that could be the problem. Maybe you have been. And if you've been leading by example, maybe it's been well-intentioned, but potentially poor leadership. And how would you know? So getting excited to have the conversation of bringing some awareness into what, what's already there. And then from there, windscreen is bigger than the rear vision mirror. So, And when do people come to you? Um is that when they have issues with culture, uh, do they have this self-awareness that they need to change as leaders or do they want to fix their business? Do they come but, in as parents who say their children are misbehaving and therefore someone needs to fix their children? Yeah, uh, look, I think as long as I've been alive and at 58, I've seen many people that will send well-intentioned leaders sending people off to training to can you go and fix my staff? Can yeah. you fix my leadership team? And yeah. I think one of the things that I learned is that you cannot outsource pain, that pain is yours to deal with if you're sitting in that leadership role. It's your pain, so you need to do something about it. It's the let's where we say to our business, let's look in the mirror before we look out the window. What do we need to pay attention to with us first? And I think that 
a lot of people um, want the fixing and there's a good group of people and I'm really lucky to selfishly work with that group of people who go, I know where we are, I have an awareness, I understand obviously not just the commercial benefit of running a really good business with a really good culture so they see the goodwill and the balance sheet benefits of that culture but they also go, it means a lot to our employees. It means a lot to our reputation as a place that people want to come and work. It means a lot to the reputation that we have there with our customers as a result. You know, we're spending $18 million a year on marketing and we're sending staff off to Saturday night barbecue conversations feeling quite disenfranchised with the culture or the leadership or the structure or the systems or the resources that support everything that we do, which means that a lot of that marketing money we spend is probably wasted because we've got 300 people out there not being raving fans about our own business. Uh, and that's just the employees. Right. So how does that rub off and ripple out? So right. I think right. the privilege as an educator and even as a businessman is being able to work with people that not the we want you to come and fix us. We've got some budget left over. Can you help? Um, it's, this is our journey. We're here. We want to get to here. We know what amazing looks like, and we we think we're at this particular point. How can you help us progress? And best briefing ever. <laughs> How do you know if someone is malleable as a personality and is willing to learn from their own mistakes or their own blind spots? How do you know if you but want to work someone and you know that your work is going to pay off and they're going to see the light? I think if I get a sense that I'm not certain that this is a, we want to grow and develop and build our business versus fix it, I'm typically going to be asking people, and I think I've been lucky enough to earn the right to go, if you have someone working for you in your team and reporting to you that clearly does not want to commit to a constructive culture, a healthy, great place to work, what will you do with that person? What would be your thinking? What would be your strategy? What would you want to have happen? Yeah. And if people then, oh, look, you got to go and meet this one person and, you know, we've kind of given up on them really. You know, they're just here and they do their thing and they're really good at what they do and they sell the most or they are the best logistics person we've ever had or whatever. If there's an apology yeah. or an excuse for someone which would mean in action that they don't want to address that, then that's probably not my ideal client. My, my ideal client is, mm. well, that would be the catalyst for a conversation. You know, if there's someone who's identified in this process that clearly doesn't want to grow or develop or move and get better with all of us, then they're probably not going to fit in our culture. They're, they're, you know, the saying that I say, you know, who would be the ants at the picnic? So um, if you've ever mm. been on a picnic and there's been even just one ant at a picnic, um, you may not want to kill the ant, but it would be nice if the ant wasn't there. Ants don't bring anything. They just come to gnaw away at what you bought. And nobody needs people like that in your organization in terms of culture mm. and reputation, in terms of good physical and mental health. So if mm. they're prepared to act and have the conversation and, and even nice. do something, then I feel quite optimistic that I might be working with someone who really wants to grow. Yeah. And being an entrepreneur yourself and having been an entrepreneur since you were 19 and you're in the um, speaking circuit, how do you see yourself uh, versus speakers who don't have entrepreneurial experience and get to talk about how to 
you know, fix your, your business. How, how do you see yourself differently? I think it's for almost how I, it's a really good question. Thank you. And I'm really thinking what's the, the thing that makes the difference. I think it helps me how I see them differently to somebody who doesn't have that experience. So when I look at my clients, I get a deeper sense of understanding, compassion, recognition, respect for what is required mm. to run a business. I, you know, we can have the most amazing one-hour executive coaching session. I identified the problem, understood the impact of not fixing that or changing it, the impact if it was adjusted or better, what would be the plan in the street. You can have all of that. And then as soon as we finish, they're down the corridor to the next meeting going you know three of their top people look like they might be leaving and going to a competitor uh what are we doing with that you know the engineer who walks outside to go did we get that recruit what happened with that did that bridge get up did the local government happy with those plans what happened with that you know people go back to the busyness of everything so how do you whilst you're being busy be better or get better um, I have a real compassion for the realities of that, which gives me a privileged position. I think that when I am working with other business leaders, the private sector or even the public sector, I know what it's like to be on a team. I know what it's like to lead a team. I know the heartbreaks and the failures and the frustrations and the joys and the exhilaration when it's at the beautiful part. Mm. I, I bring that to the platform when I'm speaking, but I also bring it even, even into those one-on-ones into the boardrooms when we're really working mm. with that. So I have some good insight and good empathy to how do you apply some of the theories? What's the evidence-based research saying, but what's even my own experience say with that that I can use to relate? And I think the other thing, Andreas, is that every time I've done a coaching session, I feel like I almost want to pay my clients back because I've learned so much by listening and better understanding what they're their issue is, you know, I need some help with this. I've got a fellow executive doing this. What do I do with that? So the privilege of getting to that one-on-one space as a provider, I find that really enriching, which means that I'm a better service mm. to to other leaders. Mm. And what, a couple of questions for you. What is the recipe you prescribe to your coachees often like what areas do they need to address that you find recur again and again and what areas do you find are the hardest to inspire and teach people about Hmm. interesting i'm always asking that i like people to look in the mirror before they look out the window so i'm quite often a lot of people, and even at the most senior level, will find themselves excuse-making or blaming or apportioning significant amounts of the problem to the other person. So when that's happening, it feels a little bit more like therapy and counselling than it does coaching, but then that opens up the opportunity to really bring it back to, okay, if that's the case, what are we going to do? What are we doing to actually um, progress that conversation? And interestingly enough, uh, and it came up again today with two executives uh, around getting cooperation across the business. People very busy in their own silo and not necessarily looking out across the business and thinking about what is happening and how am I impacting also where I could even get support. 
And I talked about the Yuri and Fisher work out at the Negotiation Project, Harvard Business School. Um, if you've not looked it up, have a have a read through that. And they talk about increasing the frequency of interaction. How often are you interacting with people? Mm. Increase the interaction, the frequency of interaction. And even if you Google frequency of interaction and you'll have a look, you'll see ongoing research correlations with the effectiveness and the quality of that relationship when there is that increase in frequency of action, uh, that frequency of action, um, interaction. And, you know, the example I use that if I needed to do some gardening on the weekend and I think about all the people I know that might have a utility vehicle or a trailer that I could borrow to go and do the gardening work I needed, the easiest call that I can make is to the person who I just saw last Friday for a beer after work and the Friday before that for a beer after work and or every other mm-hmm. month, you know, I see them regularly versus the guy. I go, Andreas has a really good truck, but I haven't spoken to him for four months because I've just been slack. That's an awkward phone call to make on a Friday night to say, hey, Andreas, just wondering how things yeah. are going. And it would, it's just awkward yeah. as opposed yeah. to that frequency of interaction. So I share those three keys, frequency of interaction, the brightness of the future, always painting the reason why there is benefit in us cooperating, which comes back to the intention. You know, our intention is to do everything we can to grow our reputation in the marketplace. Our intention is to grow our own people to be able to move into leadership roles or certainly get genuine satisfaction here in this space. And, And we keep coming back to this intention. What do we want to be able to do? We want to be people knocking on our door. Saying, I'd love to work in this space. I've heard about it, not just because of the product that they do or sell or the service they deliver, but just what it's like to work there. The culture apparently is amazing and, you know, I want to be there. So let's keep talking about the brightness of the future, which is the intention piece. And then the last piece, if people aren't playing nicely, um, Yuri and Fisher, if someone's pushing at 10, they call it provoke ability, the ability to be provoked, to not just be. Uh, we're talking not about being furious or disrespectful, but hey, well, that's not okay. We need to have a chat. Someone's pushing at 10. Every time they send an email, they CC eight other people in on an email that really isn't helpful. Oh, and I hate that. Causes, oh, it causes such a stir. And then, you know, when it comes back to them again, they'll add, oh, Jesus, two more. I'll add them into the next reply. Uh, to be able to go to that yeah. person and, hey, look, I'd love to have a conversation with you because some things are happening that are not going to help us grow this business, that are not going to help us attract and retain the best talent, diminish our marketing value, uh, et cetera. So well, what is it? Well, you know, when you put that stuff in there, yeah, that doesn't help. I, I need a, a new agreement with you because that really has to stop, please. So it's that capacity to be able to go and address respectfully issues, that's the, the pushing back. So that comes up a lot in the coaching um, with mm. the second part of that, which was kind of embedded in there, is that how often are you telling people about what your intentions are? How many times a week would I hear you mm. go, hey, look, thanks for doing that piece of work. If our goal is to live out this particular value of curiosity, um, I loved how you went back and you were curious, not furious. I really loved how you didn't get angry at that. You went, okay, well, that's interesting information appreciate the inquiry um what specifically were you unhappy with i'd love to you know perhaps we could pick up the phone and have a chat you know i really love how that satisfies their value of curiosity 
which obviously opens up doors and hearts and minds. It doesn't shut down relationships. And doing that, that that's probably the two things. And, you know, everyone's different and at different stages of their leadership development as well. But there are a couple that I tried twice today. I love the, this, the notion of the cl- um, communicating the clarity of our intentions. Mm. And firstly, this reminds me of this uh, saying, which is, um, we like to be judged by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. Yes. So everyone, I think our natural predisposition is to, ch- to judge by other people's actions because that's the face value or the surface level um, yep. indication of what they want to do. But very often that's miscommunicated or misjudged, probably identical. And so if we are clear about our intentions and when, when we when when we communicate and at the same time we're curious, like you said, about the other people's intentions, then we can do away with most of the damage of miscommunication, which mm. comes from this lost in translation effect. Like I intend one thing and my actions communicate something entirely different. Mm. Oh, look, I, I agree. And I think that is the key regularly. How often are we communicating our intentions to the point that if I saw a behavior from my leader, I could, I've heard it that many times, I will judge them by their intention, not by their behavior. Or I will see how that behavior right. satisfies that intention. Right. That makes sense. So like- And one of the reasons, I guess, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, in every form of communication, hey, guys, the intention of our meeting on Tuesday is to um, explore ideas on how else we could address this response in relation to this issue. I recognise that the final decision will sit with me. My intention before I actually make that final decision is to elicit as many ideas from you guys and opinions from you in the time frame that we have to make the most of that meeting time. Looking forward to discussing this on Tuesday. War regards, Sam's. Hey, look, our intention yeah. is always yeah. to be sure we are making this a great place to work and the intention is that every person would play their part in making this a great place to work, not just one or two people. Um, so the reason for this email is to address some behaviour that I've recognised that is working against that intention. Please, uh, mm-hmm. we address this in our next team meeting and you know, please come along with what you believe your part is in making this a great place to work. So uh, I think is how many times in a week will I hear you say that so that when I look at your behaviour, there's a good chance I can flick really quickly to, I know where Andreas is going with this. This is about, you know, we spend 20 million bucks in marketing. And if we don't help manage that conversation at the Saturday night barbecue, we could be eroding the reputation of our business. So the intention is to talk about the yeah. intent. <laughs> I, I often hear this saying, you, you, as a leader, you should not communicate, you should over-communicate. Yeah. You shouldn't state, you should repeat. Yeah. And actually, one very good reason for this is that people need to hear you say the same thing in 
not just many times because that needs to be imprinted into memory, but mm. in different ways so that they can actually judge the intention behind the words. Yes. And very often you're, we're not clear as leaders, like this is why we're doing this. This mm. is why um, we're cutting costs, or this is why we're creating a new department, or this is why um, we have to change our strategy. Mm. And, you know, there's always good intentions. There's very rarely bad intentions, but they're miscommunicated yeah. and they're misperceived as a result. Yeah. Oh, and um, I, and moving, I, moving. Yeah. Can I Go just ahead. add one thing? Not even just, I think a lot of people will say they have good intentions and my question straight away will be, oh, good. What are they? And they go, what do you mean? Well, what are your good intentions? What are you actually intending to do? What is your mm. intention for culture, for leadership, for reputation, for engagement, et cetera, for your own mm. personal reputation? And so I think that a lot of people don't even know what their intentions are, which means that they have very little chance of communicating them regularly. So getting really clear on what you want to be famous for, what you want the business to be famous for, and then communicating that regularly really does help. Bruce, before we move on to something else, I want to uh, play this uh, quick quiz with you, which I like to play with my guests, which is the two truths and one lie. Oh, yes. Uh, among other things, because this is, um, I, I think, reveals um, interesting stories uh, and facets of one's personality. So what are two truths or three truths for you without revealing what the lie is? Hmm, okay. Well... Although I'm 58 and I still remember in 1978, so I was 13 at the time, that I won a Yamaha organ competition playing Stars and Stripes Forever on the organ, on this big majestic organ. So that was a very glamorous Lovely. moment in my life. I have had my nose and you can see it's probably not that straight but i've had my nose broken uh six times uh playing martial arts initially in kung fu and then jiu-jitsu for 30 odd years and uh yes six times i've had that nose broken so uh very sensitive now i'm not playing that sport anymore <laughs> i won't come uh, too close to you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I tell people the best way to run a win a fight is your mouth shut and or by five hundred meters. Just run away if it looks like there's enough trouble. Be fit enough to run. That's the best option. <laughs> um, and oh, there's like there was a couple that I was going to say. I'm like just trying to think about which one uh, would be the most fun one. Um, at my year twelve, uh, at the school I went to. I literally uh, was awarded Mr. Sangate High. That was the name of the suburb I lived in, Mr. Sangate High. So uh, that was year 12, actually. So there's my three truths. Was that a derogatory? Was no, that derogatory that was or award, was that? It was a community fundraising effort and different people would be entered and then you'd be ah. judged. And we all had to raise money and... It was based on, you know, community service, academia, attendance, citizenship. There was a range of different things. I mean, I'm no stellar academic uh, at all, but I was paying attention in grade 12 and I was awarded 
and Joanne, well, I don't say her surname, my uh, Miss Sangate High. Uh, we even worked at KFC together in year 12. So we were out mm. there playing our part, earning some pocket money. <laughs> Very good. All right, Treat. so we'll get to which one is the truth and which is a lie at the end of the podcast. Sure. sure. Um, I want to go back into your early years as an entrepreneur. Mm. So you dove into entrepreneurship uh, very early at 19. You, you, you told me you had 130 staff by age 22, which is a lot of responsibility for a young age. What were some of these formative lessons? And I'm sure you, you, know, you hit uh, a wall many times in those early years, like every entrepreneur does. Yeah. Uh, what were those, some of those early moments that taught you life lessons? I was an entrepreneur accidentally in grade 10. I started my own business then accidentally. How, um, how old is that? How old uh, is that? Grade 15 10? years of age I was. So 15 years old. I did a lot of community service work at that particular stage of my life in years 8, 9 and 10. So uh, in my 13, 14, 15 years, high school here in Australia. And that was at the discretion of the local magistrate's court. And the judge would sentence me to 30 hours or 60 hours of community service for my crimes. And as a juvenile, I would be picked up from school on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And I would be taken out for two hours, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, to do six hours of my community service work. And I would wash police cars. I would mop out the courthouse. I would vacuum out the police station. And as I got older, later into grade eight, I got to mow lawns for the elderly and the infirm. So this is 1978 in the history of the world. And I'm mowing lawns and it's hot. Um, it's in year 10 and I'm still mowing lawns and I'm still doing crimes against the community. And I mowed one lady's lawn and she actually spoke to me. No one ever spoke to me ever. I was the the criminal and the prisoner and there was the police officer and they would speak to the police. And she came up and she goes, well, I've not met you before, young man, and you've done a great job here. You've got a good energy about you. I like what you've done with my lawn. Are you coming back next week? And I said, oh, I will be. And <laughs> see next Tuesday and I'm thinking, this is weird. No one ever talks to the prisoner. She came back the following week and we did go and do her house at the same time, Tuesday, 4 o'clock. And she said, are you coming back next week to mow my grass? And I said, oh, look, I won't be. I've actually finished my 90 hours and I'm sure there would be someone else. And I was absolutely certain there would be someone else because most of the people that I went to school with went to jail in the end, particularly up until grade 10. Uh, the big joke for our grade 10 photograph was that for the 12 of us left out of the 38 that started at the beginning of the year was that we should do one photo from the front and one photo from the side, uh, just for fun, for the school photo. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, I, I tried to convince her, and then she really narrowed in on me, and she said, well, I've got an idea for you, young man. You'll get a mower, and you'll get a wheel to do the edges with, and you'll come back and mow my grass next week, and while you're busy mowing my grass, you won't be getting into mischief. Now, she was more scary than the magistrate. And, I, you know, I don't know if it was the facial hair or the teeth <laughs> or the spoon. She was scary. And I look at the copper and I look back at her and I go, okay. And she goes, I'll pay you some money. See you next Tuesday, 4 o'clock. 
the short story at the end of that about I mow her lawn every week. She had a new customer for me. Um, I was mowing two lawns a week and then four lawns a week. And as it got a little cooler and the grass didn't need mowing every week, she goes, I've got five gardens here and you'll take all the grass out of, the, all the, out of those and I'll have some plants for you and you can plant those and all right, and I'll pay you $3 for that too. $3 was a lot of money in 1979 that we were in now and um, I, could, I couldn't even think what to do with $3. I've stole everything that I needed um, and, you know, 50 cents to give people listening an idea, 50 cents in Australia, which was half a dollar, she's given me $3. So 50 cents um, could get you a can of Coke and a Mars bar back in 1979 if you paid for them, right? So I never paid for them, but apparently that's what they cost if you paid for them. And 10 weeks into that relationship, she sits me down, gives me a lemonade, and she puts her arm around me. And she and it's I'm freaking out that she says, you need to understand something, Bruce, that if you solve problems for people, people pay you money. But if you cause problems for people, people pay money for Wonderful. you to go away. And it's like this smack in there. She goes, what does it cost me to keep your mates in the local jail? What do I get? Nothing. I paid you $15 this yard. It hasn't looked so good since my husband died. And it's like, all right, then um, I didn't really quite understand, but she was like, if you solve problems for people, people pay you money. If you cause problems for people, people pay money for you to go away. And so my whole life I've been looking at how do I solve problems for people because people pay you money when you solve problems for them. When you started a job, you, you want to solve problems for the company and for the customer. So what happens what, what's the environment, the structure, the systems, the resources that can support that? Um, if you cause problems for a company, they'll pay money for you to go away too. It's like it's expensive and it's bad and I've been using that forever as my underlying philosophy and I, I mowed. She said, I have a new customer for you and I said, who is it? And she goes, he's crazy. People mow his lawn once they never go back. I can get you $25, but I want a $5 commission. This is two years into our six-year relationship. And I said, okay. And I went and mowed his grass and I came back to Mrs. Evans and I said, the guy is crazy. When he paid me, he threw the five $5 notes right in my face. What am I supposed to do? And she said, well, you hopefully picked them up because one of those is mine. Thank you very much. And then straight on the end of that, she gave me the next piece <laughs> of feedback that I would use the rest of my life. My job was to go and serve him, not to judge him. You do not get paid for both. Every single staff member that's ever worked in our team will know we are here to serve people. We're not here to judge them. We don't get paid for both. And you won't have the time and energy, energy for both. So in tribute to my formative years, they were the two principles that I took into. Thank you, Mrs. Evans. Bless you wherever you are these days. But if I ever had a book written about my life or a movie, it would be called Thank You, Mrs. Evans. That was the beginning of that. Maybe you should. It's Maybe you should. These the are some stories that need to be retold. Yeah, and look, I get the privilege of the platform to share that from time to time, of course, and, and people, you know, I ask leaders to go, who could you be a Mrs. Evans for? Who could be the person who is... Mm. Increasing the frequency of interaction, the brightness of the future, and giving me that provocability, being able to push back at me and go, listen here, young man, you know, 
you're going to come back here next week and while you're busy mowing my grass, you won't be getting into mischief. Someone who had the courage to see potential. She wasn't trying to, I think there might have been a bit of fixing in there, but sometimes that's what we do with people. You give them an opportunity to grow and it fixes them in the old mm. language, but it literally helps them just mm. reach their own awareness around this could be better and different. And it was the impact. She was the one that taught me about not just the intention, but the impact. If you want to have a conversation with people, start about the impact. Do you know what? I'm thinking about spending some money because I want to have something to do every afternoon. I miss my husband like crazy. And you know what? Now that you put those plans in for me, what does it mean to me? It means that I have something meaningful to do. I get to every day go and water those plants. I pull the weeds out. I feel like I can digest that problem. The yard hasn't looked so good since my husband died. I love coming back out into the yard again. It's been really good for my health and it's been really good to see you help me do that. And she was talking about it's the impact of what you do. That's the rocket fuel for the next activity. That's just the thing that keeps people going. When that happens, it's not the behavior piece. And I spend a lifetime teaching this to people. Everyone's got good intentions, even people that steal from people. You know, I've got a good intention. I've got two children. I've got a mortgage. I need to earn extra money to keep up my drug habit and yeah. pay the mortgage and make sure I feed the kids. But the impact of that is quite a negative one. And so when I'm talking to my right. team, I'm right. Right. talking about impact, impact, impact. What does this mean if we do this well? That's the brightness of the future piece. What does this mean if this our customers have this experience. What will that mean then for profitability, reputation, word of mouth, net promoter score, blah, blah, blah. And I'd rather yeah. rave on about the intention and the yeah. impact than, by the way, everyone, we've got all these things to do. People put their hands in their heads and going, a long list of more things to do. Whew. People engage more where they understand the intention and then what it means and that impact. And thank you, Mrs. Evans. She was a remarkable person. Thank you, Mrs. Evans, then. Yeah. Um, and Interesting question, I, by the I way. I know that... Um, I, I know that uh, actually talking about the impact is one of my favorite ways for giving feedback mm. uh, to both children and this staff, is, yeah. which is explaining what they did, the action, uh, the impact that it caused, and then how I felt. Yes. Maybe also how others feel, but I prefer to talk about myself. So how I felt about no. that impact. Not the action. Yeah. Because the action might have had different intentions, as you say, but about the impact. Yeah, yeah. no. Um, and moving to something related, because I know you care a lot about personal development of people, both... Uh, the people you coach and the, the and your staff. Um, how do you help people develop? Like, do you use a framework? Uh, is it more uh, abstract? Is it more like an intention? Or do you use a um, set of steps to help people develop? Um, I try to keep it simple. Having the deepest respect for the rest of their world and a compassion for what it's like, and you know, you're in this PD moment, I always ask people right from the start to talk to me and decide what you want to be famous for. And 
in a whole different series of categories. What do you want to be famous for in terms of your competency? Like when people trust people that are competent, it's one of the trust factors. So what's what do you want? What's your intention in terms of that space and getting tasks done? What do you want to be famous for? What's your intention in terms of the relationships that you want to have? What's your intention for the reputation of the team that you will serve? What do you want that to be like? Uh, what's the intention that you have for your own personal well-being and the well-being of others? And so I will start people around those four areas, looking at task, relationship, the team. What are you? What's the intention for your relationship with the team and what that means and then the well-being of you and your team as a way to go, Everything else that we do needs to be able to come back. Is this helping you progress that intention? If you did that well, what would the impact mm. be? So if you did all of those things magnificently well or better than what you do, what would be ideal impacts? What would that mean for, and, and again, the ripple, multiple stakeholders that we will impact? What does it mean for your partner and your family when you go home at the end of the day if you built that? reputation with your team or that relationship with your team and you are flooded with discretionary effort, people going out of their way to help you on a regular basis, people looking out for each other task and relationship-wise, what will that mean? What's the impact of that on your family? You know, you'll go home with a fuller cup than an emptier cup and you'll go home feeling, how was work? You know what? It was actually really good. <laughs> I had a great day. It was tough. We had some big decisions to make, but gosh, it was good. So, What's the impact done ideally? What's the current impact? How are you currently impacting? What does that look like? I'm not even talking about behavior yet. What, what, what's the current impact? Great. If you don't change that, what's that going to be like for you in two years' time, three years' time, five years' time, building up that attention for change, if you like, the dissatisfaction with the current reality is the phrase that we use. Okay. What are you going to do more of? What are you going to do less of? And I know that's oversimplifying at some level, but that's the real bones of the way that I've learned to just get that momentum going, culture, leadership, target, etc. I love the principle of asking someone, uh, what would you be proud of? Uh, is that how you called it or something similar? Yeah, or, what would what make you, you proud? Famous. Yeah. How we, we, it what do you want to be? That's right. What, we, what do you want to be famous for? Because yeah. that touches on a very sentimental chord that is very deep within us and touches our true self um, in that respect. And then mm. you also touch on the chord of like in a few years time, how do you see yourself and where do you want to see yourself? So it's, it's a very simple, but very clever way from the sounds of it, of helping someone connect with their emotions, project themselves in the future and see what is the real impact they want to have in life and then ties it back to their current actions and how it helps them get to that impact. I love it. Mm. Um, and, and then Bruce, Andres, uh, on that point, they don't have to then deciding what the strategies and the behaviors are can be more self directed than injected. So, if you wanted to, to get to that outcome and you were here, what are you seeing then you could do more of or less of? Because currently you have great strategies to even get to this point. 
what what are those strategies that you need to amplify, work on to make mm. more of an automatic default response to mm. life as opposed to the ones that you're defaulting to now? And quite often they can mm. identify a lot of that themselves, yeah. Bruce, when it comes to, to culture, um, as the title of the podcast might say, I, I like to rethink a lot. And I yeah. think we need to rethink a lot about culture. But when it comes to the way you understand culture, what, what is misunderstood? What do we need to rethink about? I think if I'm getting technical just for a moment, I think a lot of people mix up climate and culture. So they'll do a climate survey and think that that's their culture. And climate can change on a regular basis. You know, we all have moments where we feel great about the company or less great about the company. You know, we've just had to make an announcement that our pay rise this year is only going to be 2%, not the 3.5 that lines up with inflation. Or, you know, you have things that will deepen, you know, potentially negative sentiment against an organisation. But that can change depending on the culture. So if you've got a culture that's So climate quite, is fleeting, but, but culture is evergreen or culture uh, is, yeah, is longer-term? Yeah, no, but- yeah, no, I think that's – I like the – it is fleeting. Climate will change based on mood. The culture, what sits underneath that? So where would a message land on a constructive culture? Hey, you know, one of the conversations today, they have a travel ban at the moment, and – if the culture's not right, you'll have the responses to the travel ban. If it's not managed right by the leadership, which influences the culture, which then influences what happens with all that messaging, then it, it lands on, which is what were the problem. Everyone's just talking, oh, we've got this travel ban. We can't do anything. This is ridiculous. Like, how are we supposed to still do this and maintain this customer service standard yeah. and our service agreements with that? Yeah. And, if you've got this very aggressive, passive, defensive culture, that's what happens, which means that productivity goes from really good to less than good. Uh, people disengage or have another reason to disengage, and that has a negative impact. Oh, the travel ban's over. Oh, oh, well, about bloody time. You know, that should have happened like, you know, this is ridiculous. It never should have happened in the first place. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So... The meeting before and the meeting after the meeting, that, that's the culture. That's the actual culture. Where, you know, if all of us can go into a meeting and be polite and helpful and respectful and pretend to be the best version of ourselves and get through that. The, the meeting before and the meeting after is the actual culture and there's a real misalignment with that. People think if I do all the right things and I get back and I say to you, yeah, we've still got this stupid travel ban, like it doesn't make any sense. And then I just take out, you know, eight more people for another 10 minutes complaining about the travel ban versus a well-led, well-constructed um, culture that people know why there is a travel ban. And we people go, oh, would you be coming to Brisbane for that meeting? Uh, no, I'm just doing my bit at the moment to make sure that we've nailed our costs over the next six to eight weeks just until those revenues bounce back to where they need to be. And once those revenues bounce back, I'll happily be in Brisbane. Um, for now, uh, we're just doing Teams meetings to make sure that we can keep the communication going. So that's the meeting before and after the meeting. In the meeting, somebody goes, oh, you know, apparently we can't come to see you because there's a travel ban. Yeah, look, thanks for playing your part in that because that literally will mean a very immediate 
increase in cash flow for the business, decrease in expenses, and it you know it still gives us a chance to connect. But we'll just need to do it for teams mm-hmm. next maybe two to three months until there's a reassessment. So, um, how can I help? What's going to be the meaning about you know like everyone gets back to yeah. work, yeah. you know people yeah, yeah fair point and yeah. where you go. So I think the yeah. culture is palpable. And I know you're doing work and I'm quite inspired and very curious about what you're doing and how do you take this, what at times seems not measurable to making it more, like there is a quantitative measurable difference in the productivity if you've got the first culture that I was playing out there uh, where everyone's focused on the travel ban versus a culture where people are focused on, hey, I'm just playing my part in reducing our cash flow requirements so that we can meet all of our obligations and until those revenues bounce back as projected those contracts come online then we might go back to a bit of normal but for now good to see you on teams mm-hmm. like there is a quantitative difference in that there's money attached to that and oh, yeah. For, yeah for every oh, yeah. 10 million dollars of payroll and it is got, yeah it adds up and it is it is mal- measurable like i i like I say, I, I, I like, <clears throat> I have a passion for turning culture into a KPI. But, yeah, um, <laughs> that's good. Move, moving to a, to a, moving to a closing topic as, as we wrap up. If you were an entrepreneurial Mrs. Evans or Mr. Evans, and you would want to create a workplace that would be uh, someone's best place from which to develop or best job ever where would you start i would start with a very clear intention that that is our intention and we're going to communicate that every time and that every single person um, you need to be able to set that intention as well that you want to be famous for making this a great place to work so that intention is set so you know, the people in our learn to swim businesses, for example, everyone knows they play their part and right from the start, that would be it. Everyone is going to have a job to play. You cannot be unemployed in the culture here. You are employed in creating a great place to work through how you think and how you act, etc. And then I think makes me think because, again, I'm old and there's so much momentum in the businesses that we have, but I think creating psychological safety so that people know that, if you're here and you are making the effort, we, we've got your back. That that we would teach mm-hmm. you how to have a really emotionally intelligent relationship and love for feedback so that you can see feedback as just rocket fuel and we're going to teach you how to be able to receive that and use it in a really psychologically safe way and the, mm-hmm. that, then you can grow. And then you'll grow quickly and you'll grow with many opinions and open to many ideas on how you can be amazing and to, you know, teaching people to be curious, not critical, teaching people to look for what's the positive intention, not condoning the bad behavior. What was their intention? You know, my daughter spills milk when she's eight trying to pour a three-liter milk container. It would be easy to get distracted by the behavior but if I think about what her intention was, she was practicing pouring, developing some independence, and she made a mistake. Hey, I noticed what happened. How can I help? Or she was just having fun. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I even thought, and that's an actual example where I, t- I will tell people that 
in hindsight, I thought that maybe she was also going, Dad, you're reading the newspaper. You stay there. I'm going to do this by myself. So you, I don't want to disturb you, Dad. I don't want to have to. It could have been an act of reciprocity, her right. wanting to pay back in the most right. positive piece. So that's right. the beginning of the culture that I would create that, Feedback is going to be our friend. It's going to be needed and we've got you back. We want you to learn and play and fail and learn and play and fail and just keep getting better and you'll get better quicker when you can do that in that environment. So if there's one thing I'm taking away from this podcast, it's we need to be crystal clear about our intentions and we need to be curious about other people's intentions and not judge by their actions alone. Yeah. And as a final question to you, Bruce, <clears throat> yes. do tell us which are the truths and what was the lie in the three yeah. truths. Um, it is true that I won the Yamaha organ competition playing Stars and Stripes Forever in my suit, purple I think it was, with the big frills down the front. I still remember purple, doing wow. that. It was 1978. Come on. Uh, <laughs> that was the colour. <laughs> it, it's also true that I was Mr. Sangate High at uh, the high school that I went to and Joanne was Miss Sangate High and we raised a whole lot of money and had the whole contest. It's also true that I've had my nose broken um, doing cage fighting, mixed martial arts, but it's only true that it's happened four times, not six times. And the fourth time was not even in the ring competing. It was I gave a brown belt, the lady who was tidy. I said, I want you to throw me a straight punch. And then I took a breath to explain to her what was going to happen next. And she just threw the straight punch at me. Bam, smacked me straight in the head. And <laughs> 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 when I opened up my nose for out. the time and blood's coming out, I'm like going, I'm about to tell you what's going to happen next. <laughs> and uh, she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was fun. So, yeah, that was why. Took it too literally. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, it's been a real pleasure. I'm, I'm learning a lot. I've, I'm taking a lot of notes. Um, I'm going to be using what do I want to be famous for and what, what others want to be famous for more often. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing uh, uh, the story with Mrs. Evans. Again, something I will carry with me. And I hope you inspire lots more leaders to be intentional about their actions and curious about others' actions. Yeah. And to always learn. And for everyone else listening, thank you for staying with us. Do hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next few episodes. We have some wonderful guests coming. And don't forget to tell us what you think or who we should be inviting next by emailing rethink at rethinkculture.co. And very much keep leading, everyone. And thank you again, Bruce. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks, Andreas. May you continue your good work, not just in your business, but in helping all of us rethink culture. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Have a good night.